So Romans 10, we took a little break last week to talk about world events, and I appreciate having that latitude to be able to do so. I want to start in this morning just reading our text that's before us, and we're going to kind of jump around in a, a little bit. But Romans 10, and then we'll start with verse 14. Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring the glad, glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy with them that are not a people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hand unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Uh, we are speaking about Israel. It's kind of interesting timing at the world stage that uh, Israel's back in the forefront. I'd just been thinking uh, earlier this year, I was like, man, Israel's been pretty quiet. You know, there's always something that seems like it's going on, and so I apologize for thinking. Um, but uh, things have, have touched off over there. Paul here is reminding the Roman church, because this is the letter to the Roman church that he's not, he gets to go to, but he hasn't been there yet. So he's writing them a letter to encourage them. Uh, and he's telling them that God's not done with Israel, because there's some question about that. You know, what's this new church, and what's happening? And the church is formed, it's made up of Jews and Gentiles alike. And uh, so is God done with Israel? Is this replacement theology? Has God replaced you know, Israel with the church? And so he's, he's addressing that. And so God has promises to keep. On Wednesday night, we're in the book of Hosea. And he tells them, that he says, I'm going to judge you. It's going to be a harsh judgment. But when you repent, I'll take you back. You know, that, that's the whole point of this judgment. I'm trying to draw you close to me. You've forgotten me. And so now I'm going to send you to a harsh judgment so that if you repent, you'll return unto me. And so he tells them that before it begins, you know, to, to try to make that suffering shorter. It's like, hurry up and repent, and we can make, get this over with. The Babylonian captivity. It's a big deal in Israel's history. It's a big deal. Uh, the book of Jeremiah, 2 Kings, Daniel, Ezra, others, you know, that mention it and talk about it, you know, the warnings before and the things that happened and, and uh, the time during through the book of Daniel, then the return from it, we have them rebuilding, you know, in the book of Ezra and others. And, and that's a, a big event. And the, the return of the nation, it's a big deal. And he, and he took them out of the land because they owed God. He, they were supposed to set the land aside. You know, after every seven years, they were to have a rest year and let the fields rest, and God would take care of them, and they didn't do it for 490 years. So he's like, I'll get my 70 back. And so he takes them out of the land so the land could rest and because they had done that. He judges them again in 70 A.D. as a nation. You know, they return after the Babylonian captivity. Then he judges them again because the person that they've been praying for since the Garden of Eden since Eve had been looking for the one who's going to restore things since the fall, the Messiah comes, presents himself to him, through many signs and wonders, fulfilling prophecies, sometimes literally on the very day, acting it out and telling that I'm fulfilling this prophecy. I'm he. Reads it from the scripture. Today, this is fulfilled in your ears. They reject him. 
They say, crucify him. So in 70 AD, God <coughs> takes him out of the land again, plows it under. You know, not one stone will be left upon another. Puts it in Gentile control. It'll be trodden under the foot of the Gentiles, the prophecy said. And so, yeah, he judges them. And they have been dispersed around the world. And they have been despised around the world more than any other people group. But he promised to bring them back. Because he has promises to fulfill. He says, I, I've made promises. And they were uh, not contingent upon who you were and how you were behaving. Now, <laughs> I expected you to be loyal to me, and there was punishment and there are consequences for sin, that is for sure. But ultimately, he fulfills all those promises in uh, the millennial reign of Christ. When he comes down, he establishes it. begins it by drawing the Jews back to their homeland. This Bible, the Bible says this cycle happens only twice. And I remember, uh, it's been several years ago, I remember studying and saying, I wonder how many times this cycle has repeated where they've rejected God, he takes them out of the land, he brings them back. Uh, they reject him, forget him again. He takes them out of the land, disperses them, and brings them back. And I've searched and searched. It's like twice. They did it once under the Babylonian captivity. And he took them out of the land at 70 AD. And he says, I'll bring you back again. But that's during the end times. And he takes this time to reintroduce them and to, to give them a yearning and, and, and a desire to be back in the land. Because I think they were content. Like when Babylon, you know, only a very few of them went, went back to Israel. Most of them liked it in Babylon. I mean, we got a pretty good life here. You know, I like the food and the entertainment. It's all okay. So very few of them came back. And I think as God has scattered them around the world, a lot of them are comfortable where they are. You know, why move? This is the life we've only known. We do pretty good here. And then he gave a holocaust. They were hated and they were despised. There was boats full of Jewish people. And every country, including the United States, refused to let them have entry. So what do we do with the Jewish problem? And so at that time, England was in charge of it. And through the Balfour Declaration, they made a contingency for the, a place for them to go. And then they um, determined that they could be a country. And everybody thought they would name themselves Judah, but they t took uh, lines from... Uh, Bible passage are like, no, we're going to be Israel. We're going to be the house of God again. And so they had a homeland, a place to go, you know, so they could, because of the Holocaust and they were despised in all these countries, they were allowed to go back in and establish it. And we see more going now. I don't know if you've heard all the reports about everybody getting on an airplane, getting back to their homeland. You want to unite a country together, persecute them, you know, especially the Jews. Oh, you're fighting against me, my people. Oh, how it is, we'll come together and we'll defend. And so they're coming back. And, and you know, finally, you'll be. Reunite, re reunite them all when they recognize Jesus as their Messiah. That's what he is desiring, and that's what the tribulation is all about, because it's going to get bad, bad, to finally get them out of their stubbornness and bullheadedness to finally cry out after him. Look at Isaiah 11 real quick. And this is one of the texts that, that show us that they only do this twice. God just tells us, and this is when I quit looking for examples, and I'm like, oh, he tells us right there it's only going to be twice. Isaiah 11, verse 11, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and Egypt and from Pathos and from Cush and Elam and from Shinar and Hamath and from the islands of the sea, basically the world. He goes, I'll do it twice. And the second time will be at the end times when I bring them all back together. Not a third, not a fourth, not a fifth, not a seventh, not an eighth. And why would I stress this? Why would I stress that they're only going to do it twice? And that 
because it only happens twice. And we're in the midst of it now. And so there's no like, I wonder if we're in the end times. We're in the end times. One, <coughs> I can prove that in several places, you know. Uh, Revelation starts with saying these are the last days. You know, this, this is the last day, and, and it's later now than it was then. John tells us multiple times we're in the last days. And so we're in the last days. We're the last days of the last days, <laughs> as was what I think. And so, yeah, it only happens this. Because I've heard the argument time and time again. It's like, it's just a pattern. God's done this thousand times with the Jews. He's going to do it again. They'll, they'll be just like, no, he did it once before. And now he's fulfilling it yet again this time. He's bringing them back, putting them in. So... Um, he's bringing them. Dan, and you're thinking, well, well, can we really know if we were in the last times like that? It seems like that's a little presumptuous, Brian. Um, well, we can't. Daniel did. And how did Daniel know that we, he was in the days when they were going to be returning? Because he read his Bible. And God told, he's told us, you know, he can see these things approaching. He held them accountable for not knowing when he came the first time. He's going to hold us accountable when, we don't, when we're not, if you catch him unaware the second time. He wants us to look up and know our redemption is drawing near. He wants us to see these things and discern it like we discern the weather, like red sky at night, you know, sailor's delight. He says you can discern the weather, but you can't discern the time. I've told you these things so that you'll know. And so we can, and so he is regathering them the second time. He is drawing them back on a grander scale. I think Levi gave me the number, like two-thirds of the Jewish nation is in the land, and so still a third of them aren't. And so he's doing things to try to draw them back. Well, they can be put back together. So basically saying the events that we see going on in our world right now are biblical. Uh, it's interesting. You, you ever stop and thought, if I could time travel, yeah, welcome to my brain. <laughs> if I could time travel, what time period would I go to? Oh, if I could go at any time period in the Bible, where would I pick? You'd be like, yeah, Garden of Eden. Eve, don't! <laughs> Save this whole grief, maybe. Um, watching Noah's Ark, you know, see how that was built? You know, we get to walk through one, you know, over here, but wouldn't it be cool to see that? Parting of the Red Sea, I, I, Jesus is teaching. You know, would your heart not burn within you? If I was going to look through the Bible and say, what was the most exciting time? That I would, again, I'm not, the exciting time that I would want to be would be now. When God is getting ready to return. When he's doing things to draw people's attention back to him. He's going to rapture his church out of here. We won't, all of us won't taste of that. Some of us will take up out of here. I think that's a, a time that a lot of people would have picked. Ooh, then, when those things are happening. So he did not replace the nation of Israel with the church. But he does use us. The church is a vital part in this play. And it's been told all the way back since the Old Testament. And he makes a reference here. And here's a, here's a way I'm going to think. I'm going to use this as an example. Think. And pictures. The Old Testament are there for examples for us. He says that they are types and shadows and samples, examples uh, that are there. And pattern is prophecy to the Jewish mind as much as prediction is prophecy to the Western mind, how we think. God uses both. And so we can look at the story of Joseph. This is a story for you. This is, a, this is the story of Christ, you know, that's mapped out for us. In, in this story, Joseph plays Messiah, who's rejected of his brethren, who kill him, throw him in a pit. You know, they, they want to kill him, but they throw him in, but it turns out he's really alive. Oh. Uh, they killed Jesus, turns out he's really alive. You know, so we have all that going on. But he goes, and because his own brethren reject him, he gets sent to the Gentiles. The Gentiles begin to acknowledge it. This is the guy, right? 
They put him in charge, make him second in command under Pharaoh, enough that he's able to plot and plan and make food to save the world, right? After seven years of plenty, he's able to store up so that during the seven years of want and fasting, that they all find out, all the world finds out about Joseph and what's going on. If you need to live, you need to go to Egypt to live. He marries a Gentile bride. He looks Egyptian, you know, because he's been in amongst them. He speaks Egyptian. He, does, he has it all there. But then the brethren, his brothers who had rejected him, was going to kill them, but at least one brother interceded and said, no, let's live into slavery. They get hungry enough, they're like, we've heard that there's food in Egypt. We've heard that there's answers in Egypt. And so they go back, and they don't recognize him. And this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And if, I want to rec- if you want to listen to someone tell the story of Joseph, I'd recommend J. Vernon McGee. This is one of, he's an old-time Bible preacher. He's long gone now, but he had a Bible show called Through the, uh, the Bible Bus, where he would take you through the, through the Bible. His telling of this and the compassion that he gives when he talks about the brothers seeing Joseph and finally understanding is just spectacular. But they don't understand. They don't recognize him. But Joseph knows, you know, because he's got a Gentile bride. He acts like that. He, he talks different. It seems like it. And I think that's where the Jews are now. Jesus looks Gentile to them because he's ours. And we talk about him and we celebrate him and we kind of make him look like us. He, Probably doesn't. You know, he probably looked very Jewish. You know, but but uh, you know, we, we we draw them and it's like so they don't recognize him for who he is on the surface unless they really investigate. And there's all kinds of testimonies online you can look at for Jews who finally encountered Jesus and they're like, or read the New Testament. We're like, we thought this was a the New Testament was the book on how to kill Jews. It is a Jewish book. It talks about Jewish holidays, a Jewish Messiah, Jewish things. Yeah, because he's Jewish. I remember one time getting asked a question at work. They're like, I've seen a bumper sticker on all these cars. It says, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. Is that a Bible thing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus was a carpenter. Yeah, and he's Jewish. He's Jewish? <laughs> yeah, he is. And so I, I had to have this whole conversation with the guys at work one time. And so, yeah, so it turns out, you know, once he finally reveals himself, then, they, then they're reunited and things are good. And that's when they build and become a nation. And so that's kind of a picture. Joseph's life is a picture of what we're living through now. Jesus is ours, and we're the Gentile bride, and, and we're reintroducing uh, Israel back to who their Messiah is, or we're trying to. It comes to the point where it takes a showdown with Pharaoh, where they finally understand, you know, through God's miraculous display that he is who he is, and they cry upon him whom they have pierced, and he comes down and he, he rescues them. And so we're seeing that all played out. We're, we're back into those stages. So if you look at Romans 10, if we go back to that, in verse 19, this is what he's quoting here in Isaiah. Uh, Romans 10, 19 says, But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses says, and so this is a prophecy that Moses had given in Deuteronomy 32, I will provoke you to jealousy with them that are, are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. That's us, that's the church. I think it describes me pretty good, the foolish nation, right? I'm going to use somebody who's not a people. And I'm going to show myself to them, and then you'll want that relationship with me that they have because you used to have it, but you turned your back on it. Verse 20 says, But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found of them that sought me not, and I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. You know, here he was their God, and then they were supposed to have this relationship. But then we get the overspilling because of their rejection. He's made himself available to us, and he's going to then expand upon that in chapter 11 in great detail. Uh, it's talking about how he uses this. And there's some timing verses about where we are in the end times of things that will be interesting to speculate on uh, next week when we get there. But it's hard for the Jews to get this and understand it because they have their mindset set. And part of it, we looked at the verse in Luke when Jesus comes in, you know, after uh, Palm Sunday. And he cries because they had not 
recognized the day of a fulfillment of the Daniel 9 prophecy, literally on the very day that he said he would. And he says, because of this, God will hide this from your eyes. And so God has blinded them in some regards where they can't see it and understand it. That's why he begins when they reject Jesus and his ministry. When he's preaching to them, there comes a point in time when they start attributing the works that he is doing to Satan. They're like, you do this by the power of Beelzebub. And then from that point forward, he's like, it's not meant for you to know. And he starts teaching them parables. I'm going to hide it right in front of you where you can't see it. And so he does that in his ministry. And most of this is because of their stubbornness, their hard-heartedness, because they are deaf. They think they know, and they don't know. And that is a dangerous thing, to be presumptuous. And thinking you have understanding. That gets me in trouble with conversations at home often. When I think I know where a story's going, I don't listen to the story. I don't know, you're nodding your head, and you're like, it should get you in trouble, Brian. <laughs> and it does. But, you know, I think we have that in our relationships where you're like, oh, you don't really listen because you think you know where it's going. We don't need to do that with God. We need to listen. Look at Romans 10, 13. It's a verse we didn't read this morning, but where we ended two weeks ago. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've told you it's the first Bible verse I ever understood. Salvation is available for whosoever. He's trying to let us know it's for Jew or Gentile, it's for Greek or Russian, you know, it's for African and or Haitian, it's for anybody. Salvation is for whosoever would repent. Now notice the details here. He gives us some things in verse 14. How then shall they call on him whom have they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? This is God's method of making sure the message goes out. He doesn't use angels to proclaim it and goes throughout. He does resort to that in the book of Revelation at one point. They preach the gospel, but right now he uses people. People will be the way I share my message. People telling people. Jesus is the only way. Jesus told him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's the one way in. He's the door. He's the ark. He's the sacrifice. He's the lamb that was slain. He's the only way we can have everlasting life. They have to know about him to have salvation. How they know about him unless they've heard. You know, so we've got to tell him. Tell them. So notice it says that they have to hear. I want to kind of pull that out. Let's look for that word here. He says uh, in verse 14 now, How shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on whom they have not heard? Then look at verse 17. It says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Look at verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Hearing. The ear seems to be God's method that he uses to convey the gospel. Not everyone can read, especially in the timing of the writing of this. We take literacy as a given anymore. Well, we used to. Not so much anymore. I remember one time being at McDonald's, and they were training someone, and this was in the 90s, training someone to take an order. And so I'm telling my order, and he's like, uh, I can't find it. And then telling the next thing, he's like, uh, I can't find it. And after about the fourth one, she turns to the guy who's you know, taking my order, and she goes, you can't read, can you? He goes, no. You know, so, so it's like, it's, it's a problem of today as well. And so, but uh, literacy, not everyone can read, but we can hear, we can listen. You know, and so um, reading levels vary, comprehension, vary, that's a skill. Reading is something that we work at, you know, to have. But listening, conversation, you're like, what about the deaf? Well, there's the deaf, and they have sign language, so God makes allowances for that. For the majority of people can hear. And God, you'll see, always proclaims the truth. Go shout it on the mountain, he talks about. Speaking it, you know, telling it, sharing, witnessing, talking, preaching. He uses all these words. He who has ears to hear, let him hear is what Jesus says, right? Receive the word with gladness. Listen, 
to that still small voice. If you trace that through the Bible, it's always through the ear gate. You know, listen, hear, know, and understand. God wants us to hear. The devil uses the eye. The lust of the eye. You know, the pride of life. Seeing is believing. When I see it, I'll believe it. Uh, we're going to have a magician tonight. Don't believe anything he's doing. It's all an illusion. You can be deceived. You can be tricked. We live in the day and age of deep fake, right? You're like, is that Biden's head or is that a CGI copy on there? You know, is that really? I don't know if anybody ever saw the Morgan Freeman where the guy does Morgan Freeman's voice and the guy turn, turns around, they put the head on. It's like, it sounds like him. It's not him. It's a guy imitating him with a deep fake head over him or Tom Cruise telling the jokes. Uh, that's a more famous one, maybe. He's like, what the hell? Do I just watch weirder things than you? I know. I think some of you, but it's, deep fake's a weird thing, you know, until it's out there. You, you can't trust what you see, right? It's there. And so. Yeah, the eyes are shallow. The eyes can be fooled. There is deception. You know, you can fool people with the way we behave, on the way we dress, you know, on the outward appearance, you know, but we're supposed to test the fruit. God says, you know, listen to what they say. You know, it's what proceeds out of the mouth, not what goes in. You know, all these different things that we're supposed to listen to and see uh, to make sure. I think that's why we live in a day and age where podcast is king, right? The number one biggest shows aren't NBC, CBS, or uh, Fox or anybody like that. It's podcasts, Joe Rogan, stuff like that, things you can listen to, things you don't have to watch. You know, you can just go in this way. And so I would say with that, that's probably why we teach our song, kids the song downstairs, be careful little ears what you hear, because the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful little ears what you hear. You got to be careful what you're taking in. You know, it's through the ear gate. I feel sorry for you raising young kids today. I didn't have to worry about somebody pulling up in the car next to me, blasting me the lyrics of their song in my car shaking my windows out, you know, with the F-bomb dropping every two minutes. You know, conversation in public was a lot more decent at one point in time in the United States. It's, you know, you hear people behind us all the time are in a restaurant, and you're kind of like, hey, come on. It used to be if there was a women and children around, even the bad guys would watch their mouths. That's the women and children that are doing it. <laughs> so it's like, it's a crazy world. But uh, be careful, little ears. And so uh, it, that's why I think it's, cool and the opportunities we have with our channel that we have with Sermon Audio, it goes 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, broadcasting not only in the United States but around the world. Uh, it's going on that way. Testimony, sharing your testimony, one versus one. Sitting around talking at work with your coworker. When you invite somebody out for lunch, when you're standing along somebody in life, we can share our good news with our testimony all the time. Conversation through speaking relationship, you know, but we proclaim the good news of the message. We're going to have the magicians going to do uh, an hour and probably 10 minutes of tricks. And then he's going to use 15 minutes of gospel presentation to be able to tell them the truth and proclaim it in that way. Uh, look at verse 15. It says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring the glad tidings of good news. First thing I want to say, stop imagining me barefoot. <laughs> beautiful, the feet of the preacher. I can tell you right now, my feet are not beautiful. I got a janky toe. I got all kinds of weird stuff going. You know, but but no, that's not it. And that's not what he's trying to convey in this. He's trying to convey feet were the podcast of the day, I guess is the way I like put it. Because you know what? If you put the gospel in a person and you told them to be a preacher and God sent you and said, go. You could climb a mountain. 
Your feet would help you climb a mountain and take that gospel of those on a mountaintop. You could walk down a dusty trail for miles to take it to a people who've never heard before and deliver them the good news of the gospel. You could go through a muddy trail. You could go through jungles. You could go through snow. You could cross, build a boat and go on that way. You could swim across a river. You could take it. We are the ultimate all-terrain vehicle. You know, and so, so we can take it anywhere. You can climb up a tree. You can climb down a valley. You can go in a cave. We could take it everywhere. We're better than any ATV that's ever built. And so the feet are the vehicle and the mode and the operation to take it there. They didn't have radio signals. They didn't have TV to broadcast them that way. You had circuit rider preachers. You had disciples who marched and took it all along the way, who went from town to town to town to town, sharing the good news of the gospel, planting churches, leaving someone to preach it there, and then Paul would march to another. Flip to the back of your Bible sometimes. I know you do it every Sunday when I'm preaching. And then see, like, oh, what's Paul's missionary journey? Like, you're thinking, that guy walked all that. You know? I've never walked to Indianapolis and back. Um, I probably walked more than my fair, fair share from cars I've had over the years. But, uh, <laughs> but it's like... Now, that'd be long. That's a long time walking. These guys are walking everywhere. They're in good shape. But he's talking about that. They're, these guys took it. God has made, made us able to take the gospel everywhere. And he's put us in the day and age where we can have it broadcasting anything. You can be painting your house, listening to the gospel. You know, you, you could be working in your yard, being in the garden, cleaning the house, scrubbing the toilet, you know, doing all these things. You can have a podcast going. God has made, made messages there, out there, and available. And that's beautiful be able to proclaim it that way. I think it's a good use of God's money to put it into broadcasting God's word, proclaiming God's word, preaching God's word. Any penny that we give this missionary is going to be worth it for Thursday for those that are there. Souls that are lost will be there or hear the good news of the gospel. And so that is worth funding to get it to them. Now we can't make them accept it. We can't make them take it. But we can give it to them because that's our job. God does the one that converts. God's the one who changes. God's the one who draws. And so, but we can put it in front of them. We're responsible for that. We're to be the broadcasters of the seed. And so we're to take the good, no, good news of the gospel out. And so we are to be going. We're to be talking. We're to be walking. We're to be on, in our life preaching little sermons. You're like, I don't feel like a preacher. Sharing your gospel. Sharing your testimony. Sharing what you heard. You can even talk about what you heard here. You know, and then share it and be able to put it in that way. Sharing the good news of the gospel. God uses preachers, and preachers inform us about God's word. And then now that you have that information, you can take it to your highways and byways, and you can take it to your school, to your home, to your work. You can take it to the family gatherings. You can take it to the neighborhoods, on and on and on. God knows what he's doing. There's something about that one-to-one -one relationship, hearing it from one person. Who told you the gospel? It's probably through a person, right? It's probably whether it was a YouTube video or whether, you know, however, some means of community, someone was telling it to you, chances are more than just reading it. And someone told it to you, then maybe they get, left you something to read, then maybe that drew you in deeper where you can think and ponder. But God uses the ear. God uses preachers. God uses his people. So he has the great commission, right? To go forth and preach the gospel to every creature. That's, a, that's, a, that's a something on all of us. That's the onus that's on all of us. Um, verse 16, but they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? And it is depressing sometimes. <laughs> you tell them, <clears throat> or you <clears throat> really, really talk to somebody, and you're thinking, man, I think they've got it. And they're kind of like, it's almost persuaded. Oh, most terrifying words in the Bible. Almost persuaded. I've had conversations, and I thought, Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get to work, and they're going to say, I repented of my sins and trusted Christ as Savior. And they never want to talk to me about it again. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I thought it was there. I could see the Holy Spirit working on their hearts, but no. 
But we can't. But we can put that stone in their shoes, something that they have to deal with, something they can think upon. And you never know. You never know what kind of impact you're having. So we're just to be faithful in the presenting of the gospel. So yeah, not all listen. And the nation of Israel specifically, he's talking about here because they've had more preachers sent to them than any other nation. They've had more prophets specifically sent to them to warn them, to tell them, to give them God's word. They are the nation for which God's word is disseminated from, where he's given it there to be carriers and protectors and guarders of it and preachers of it to proclaim it. They failed, so he gives it to us as the Gentiles to do it, but he's going to give it back to them after we're gone. He's not done. They had miracle workers. They had all these messages that are sent. They had their calendar was a message that preached to them who they are, their history, the things that were going on. And yet, they didn't listen. Matter of fact, Isaiah, the one who preaches and tells us this, they sawed him in half. That's where the magic trick comes from. They took him, put him in a log, and cut him in half. That's how he was martyred. Verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So they might not all receive, but that doesn't stop us from sharing. They have to hear. They don't all listen. They don't all believe. But God has to give them the message, and he chooses you and I to do it. Um, and we have, we're not alone. We have all kinds of helpers with us. You know, not only do we have the Holy Spirit, but we have other things, too, that we'll get to here. Look at verse 18. <clears throat> but I say, have they not heard? Yea, verily, the sound went forth, or went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. Uh, the Jews especially heard. It was in their synagogue, their culture and their religion it was joined together. Their family history, if they sat and told their family history, oh, what's our family line? Well, you're of the tribe of Benjamin, or you're the tribe of Levi, or you're the tribe of all of a sudden, the tribe of Levi, we're a tribe. Well, who was our father? Well, father, and you know, we had Jacob, and, then, and Isaac, and then Abraham. You know, we had all these, and so you're able to have your lineage. You've got a lot of their family tree kind of mapped out for them, more so than, you know, I can go back a little bit, and then my dad has a thick book he left me that, um, I've not taken it very far, you know, on how far it goes, and it gets kind of muddy, and I know one had a long beard, and he rolled up his beard on a stick, and so I'm trying to get there. That's what, that's what makes Elaine nervous. That we're, yeah, you trim that off. You get a little too long. You know, but that's about, it's in my family. Uh, but it's, uh, they, they had feasts where they talked about this thing. They had festivals. We just celebrated the Feast of Booths. You know, last week where we talked about it, and the whole point was to remind them how God's the one who provides for you. God protects you. God's the one. And it's not your grocery store. It's not, the, it's not all these things. It's not the markets. It's the ground. And it's God who protects and God who guards. It's not your army. They had their holidays where it's reinstilled. And we have Christmas, you know, and we have Easter. And so we're to claim those, you know. But there's, you know, they had multiple feasts throughout the year, reminding them about the sacrificial lamb, reminding them about the Day of Atonement, you know, reminding them about the first fruits, you know, the first fruit of the day. They have all these things, and, and we try to bring those in and incorporate them here as well. But and we need to make sure at Christmas that it's not about a guy in a red suit, that it's about what it's really about. It's about Jesus Christ coming, the gift that God has given the world, about it's not a rabbit and some eggs, it's about a tomb that is empty. And that God has brought forth in the springtime as we watch the plants all come back and the world come back to life. Jesus Christ is resurrected. We're going to make sure we claim him and not let the culture take it. This is also talking about, yeah, they've heard. And in their culture, they have all these things. He's actually quoting Psalm 19, where he talks about how creation proclaims that the stars and everything tell us that there is a creator. The heavens declare the glory of God, it says. Day after day, day at other speech. I thought it was interesting because I was looking at hearing and thinking about the ear. Then I go back to this 
psalm in Psalm 19, and it uses creation as being a voice that is spoken. It says that they utter a speech. Because you look at creation, and we stand and we look, and we had rain cover yesterday. There's a little eclipse that was going over that we weren't able to see, but uh, I think it got darker that time, and I thought it was a storm and more, and I thought, oh, it probably was that eclipse as it went over. <clears throat> but we have uh, meteor showers. We have it's dark enough here when we sit here and the, and the church lights go off. You can see the Milky Way, you know, once, once your eyes kind of adjust and it goes that way. And it just utters speech that there's a creator. This is made by someone. There's no speech where their language is not heard, where their voice is not heard. The line goes through all the earth, the psalm continues to say. It's like this goes everywhere. We all look at it. We all see it. Their words to the end of the world. So they are uttering speech, creator, you were made, someone has made you, do you know your creator, is it calling out to you, it's the cover of the book to get us to open it up, like, okay, I gotta look into this, this at least a little bit. Creation declares a creator. It draws you in to find a preacher who then proclaim to you the good news of the gospel, right? Have you ever considered the stars, or have you ever looked at the things, or how things are fearfully wonderful made, and... God just happens to have a Christian about everywhere, and when you start asking those questions, he makes it to the divine appointment where your paths cross, where then somebody will be like, yeah, maybe we should go to the Creation Museum together. We can walk through and see what it has to say, or we can go over and look at North Ark, or we can open a Bible up together if you want, and we can look at these things, and I could show you how there's a creator. Yeah, the symbiosis of animals, you know, how, how does that work? You know, how does a giraffe, you know, keep that blood pressure up, you know, his head exploding? You can't evolve through that. They'll all be dead. You know, how's a woodpecker not blow his brains out every time he hits a tree? You can't evolve into it. They all, we all died the first time, second round. Like, no, there is no second round. They're all dead. You know, but they were designed and made that way. God has done it. And he makes the platypus just to confuse them all. You know, and then I throw it all out there and says, no, there's a creator. And I have a sense of humor. Um, verse 19. He says, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and he says, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Sadly, the things we see going on in the world today in Israel are going to get worse before it gets better. A lot worse. The Bible tells us two-thirds of the Jews will be killed. One-third died in the Holocaust in World War II. Two-thirds will die in the second Holocaust of the beast when it happens. It'll happen before they repent. So what's going on as we look at the things? You know, a week has happened since the invasion by Hamas into Israel. It looks like we're getting close to the tipping points where uh, we are supplying, uh, as a nation in the United States, we are giving them uh, ammunition and stuff now. We have got them some more uh, Iron Dome-type uh, things to help because uh, Hamas is... Small time. Hezbollah is the big deal. They've got the missiles and they've got the hate and the backing. And Israel has like some 10,000 troops that are poised and ready to enter into Gaza, which they've been warning them, get out. And I, and I learned after uh, last week, I talked about how they would send a text message into an area before they would attack. You know, you need to clear out, we're about to attack this area. I heard they also developed a bomb that they can drop on top of a building that shakes the whole building to let them know it's like, this is the building we're targeting, you need to clear out. Palestinians love death. I mean, 
This is their own statements. <laughs> and, so that they lived, and so they want death and carnage, and so they don't let their people leave. It's, it's against the Geneva Convention to launch anything and use humans as a shield. You can't put captives in an area that is be a military target. You can't launch from a hospital or from a kindergarten anything. And yet they do because they want to use them. They want the carnage of Israel launch, and now look at all these dead babies. You know, oh, they killed them. It's like, well, you launched missiles from there. They warned you. They sent text messages. <clears throat> you know how many Muslim nations has helped Gaza? I can tell you, zero, zero. Has anybody seen the fence that they broke through, how they took bulldozers and stuff, the chain link fence? It's, 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 it's pretty easy to break through. Uh, uh, they have a lot of sensors on it, was what they were counting on, but they dropped uh, through these little hang glider things they, and, and drones, they dropped grenades into the sensor stations that took out the antennas that they couldn't see that they were ramming. I think it was some 80-some places they broke holes through. Egypt, Egypt is a Muslim nation. You should see their wall. It is made out of concrete and, and unweldable steel that not only goes up and it's so thick, it goes down so they can't tunnel underneath it as well. They don't want any of them in their country. Jordan has the same thing. All the other Muslim nations that border them, they have doubled their guard on it. They don't want any of them coming into their area. They want them to die too because that helps their cause. Helps the world hate Israel. There's a lot of lies and disinformation that are going on that are out there that is not true. Yeah, they shut the water stuff off. It's conditional. Well, one, they're giving them water and electricity free. They gave them the land, so there's like they're not against them. And so but they, they shut the water all off, and, and it's conditional saying, we'll turn it back on once you release the prisoners, once you release the hostages. And so they can make it all in by taking it out. They also sit on one of the biggest aquifers, they sit in the area, so they have the best, but, but their structure and their, their, and their uncivilization is that they polluted it with their own pollution. And then the pipelines that Israel used to get the water into the land, they cut it all up to make missiles to launch back at Israel. And so they're kind of cutting their nose off to spite their face in a lot of these areas. Do I agree that everything is going No, but I think they have a right to protect themselves, and it's not all as they say. So things are increasing. But So once we enter in, we have said that, or Hezbollah, is, yeah, Hezbollah has said that once they put boots on the ground in Gaza, they're going to come in, and we have said that's our red line. If Hezbollah gets engaged in the war, we get engaged in the war. And so you know, we have an interesting week ahead. Thank the Lord that their Iron Dome works as well as it does. So I think we're definitely at the time where it's wars and rumors of war, Matthew 24 stuff for sure. Is God drawing men back, using it in that way? For sure. He's drawing it to draw the Jews back to the land. Is it a Psalm 83 or Psalm 38? <laughs> well, there's a lot of things that are going on here that might be one of these or both of these as they begin to pop off. Is it a warning to us all? I can guarantee that. And I wanted to show you a verse this morning to end with. Look at Amos. Amos chapter 4. Verse 10. Amos 4. Verse 10. <clears throat> I was reading through this. And I was noticing a note I made in the margins to myself. And I'll share that with you as we get through it. So it's Amos 4. Verse 10. It says, I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. So this is God, and, and I, I, I haven't read it all. I've kind of jumped towards the end here, but he's like, I have sent diseases in your world for a reason. We've just come off a pandemic, right? He goes, I, I've done that. After the manner of Egypt, you know, like the pestilences they had. Your young man have I slain with sword. I, I've made men have to die in battle to get, get your attention here. And I have taken away your horses 
and I have made you uh, the stink of your camp come up to your nostrils. Uh, think city structures, you know, all those things have broken down. You know, you don't have quite the, uh, all the things that have happened. The men are gone, you know, this is kind of talk, painting a picture of war. Yet you have not returned unto me, says the Lord. He goes, I've done these early rounds of things to get your attention. Because I want you to come to me. I want you to return to me. Verse 11. I have overthrown some of you. I've had people attack your border and overrun it. I've had people come into your area and start wars and battles in some countries. More than Ukraine, more than Israel, more than... America on the southern border, uh, Armenia and other places, we have things that are going on, uh, very active. It was God overthrew, as, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a firebrand packed out of, the, out of the burning. He's like, so I've spared some of you. It's like, you could have been worse for you. This could have been a worse disaster. Think 9-11. It could have been worse. You know, uh, They've now discovered there was a fifth plane that got stopped that wasn't much reported upon, but they caught it with box colors and everything that we were able to stop that flight, but it wasn't made much known public. And so there was more than just the two that hit the tower and one that hit the uh, other, and, and uh, I think they're calling this the fifth plane. So there, there's more that were out there. This could have been a way worse event. And yet, he goes, I've spared you from a, a greater catastrophe. He says, yet... Have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord? Because this is his desire, is to get people to come to him. Why do bad things happen in the world? Why do towers fall? Why is there plague? Why is there hurricanes, all that? So that we'll consider our end, that that might have been us, and am I ready to stand before my creator on that day? That's what Jesus tells us when they come to him, and there was a tower that fell, and it killed a bunch of people, and they come to him, and he's like, do you suppose that these were some worse sinners that God had to take them out? No, he's done this as a warning to the rest of you. Watch out, lest a building fall upon you, or a meteor hit, or a car strike, or whatever happens. Are you ready? Are you prepared to meet your maker? Verse 12, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Israel's in parentheses. I drew in, underlined it, and I put in there, my name. And I read it, it reads different when you think of it that way. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Brian, because I will do this unto thee to prepare to meet thy, so that you prepare to meet thy God. Oh, Brian, is how I read. It's like, Brian, are you ready? Things are going on in the world to remind you to be prepared to stand before him. This is another whosoever. Put your name there. Are you prepared to stand before your God? Are you ready to meet him? God is doing everything to get our attention, to con be concerned about the right things, our right relationship with him. Are we prepared to meet him? Does our family know? Are we prepared for what's coming? Are we prepared ultimately to, to be with him forever through all eternity? Have you repented of your sins? And trusted Christ as Savior. It is a free gift. Jesus Christ has done it all. He was the sacrifice. The sins of the world were laid upon him. He took the punishment of the Father upon himself. All we have to do is then receive that gift by repenting of our sins, acknowledging that we are a sinner, turning our back on that sin, and asking for the Savior. Jesus, save me. He says, I will do it. And our sins will be removed from us as far as the east is from the west, buried to the deepest part of the sea. If we but repent of our sins and trust in the finished sacrifice, I can't save myself. It's not my church membership. It's not my family heritage. It's not the country that I was born in. None of those things matter. It's my relationship with Jesus Christ. Have I repented of my sins and trusted in him and trusted in him only to have my salvation? That's how we have salvation. That's how we can have everlasting life. And it's free and available for whosoever. And he's trying to get our attention now. If you just but repent.